How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the Exploring the Blockchain. Today, we're joined by George Cholis, and we're going to talk DAOs, NFTs, and it's going to be a great and exciting episode. George, can you tell us a little bit about what brought you into this space? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, first, thanks for having me. Um, happy to be here. What brought me into this space? I mean, that question could be very long answer, or very short answer. We'll start with the short one, and then I think we'll probably get into the rest uh, in a little bit. What brought me into the space is I wanted to make money. That was that was the primary motivation. Uh, I took a gap year uh, after I graduated high school in 2020. I didn't want to start college and COVID online stuff. So I uh, decided to take a gap year and then said, okay, well, I got to make the most of my time here and decided to look at crypto and then never looked back. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can go. Tell us the full story. We want to hear. So you want, all right. Okay. Well, so then that's the start. Um, started with Bitcoin uh, in a book called the Bitcoin Standard. Um, if you're at all familiar with Bitcoin maximalists and Bitcoin maximalism, you'll know that that's like their Bible. Um, so I was a Bitcoin maximalist for a while. And I, you know, I believe Bitcoin was the only thing you should invest in when it came to crypto, that it was the holy grail, that it was going to fix the world. And I'm still, on some level, I still believe that for sure. But that's where I started. And then I quickly realized that I wasn't going to get rich putting my savings into Bitcoin. And so I needed to look into other areas and other things. That's when a few things happened. One, Beeple and his Everydays sold for 69 million. I don't know if you guys remember that. And yeah, then NBA Top Shot was at its peak. So it was coming down, but it was it was close towards its peak. And I realized that NFTs were a lot more approachable, a lot easier to understand, and probably a lot more money in it right now due to volatility, due to new things happening. It's not like Bitcoin where there's no innovation on top of it, right? Bitcoin exists and that's it. There's nothing else to be made. It's in Bitcoin or nothing. Whereas in NFTs, there are you know, an infinite number of projects I realized that could potentially be valuable. Not bad. Now you're good. You're just kind of... Um, so I realized in NFTs, there were an infinite number of projects that could be valuable. And so that's where I decided to spend most of my time uh, spent probably the better part of every day researching, learning, listening to as much NFT content as possible. Became, at the time, what was probably an expert because of how few people were actually looking at the space. Was involved in it day to day, fell in love with it, fell down the rabbit hole, and then started my first NFT buying on a platform called so rare so that's like a soccer trading platform i started there because i was mad i missed nba top shot and was emotional and said okay well what's something similar so so rare was the most obvious choice for me coming from a, a really big soccer background uh bought some cards there that was cool experimentation, whatever, but the platform wasn't so good for making money. It was designed for playing and having a good time playing. 
uh, which is actually good. You don't see that a lot in NFTs or crypto, but wasn't what I was looking for at the time. And then on my timeline, everybody started freaking out about these apes, these monkeys, these bored apes. And I looked into them. I liked the art. I read the white paper or whatever they had at the time. I guess it was just their website. And it lined up with a lot of the things that I had been reading. I was thinking was going to happen in the space in terms of digital identity. And so sold my two so rare cards and put it all into a board ape uh, two days after they had minted out and held that until February of 2022, sold it. And a lot of stuff happening between, uh, you know, buying the board ape and today, but that's probably the, the rabbit hole in a nutshell that I fell down. Can you give us a quick estimate of how much it was when you bought it for and how much it was in February 22? Sure. Yeah, I, I bought the ape for around $1,000 and sold it for around 400000 <laughs> I'd say that's wow. a pretty good return. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was good. It was, definitely, uh, it was definitely a big hit, that's for sure. I, I saw your uh, OpenSea account doing my digging and I was like <laughs> there's no ape here and I'm like he must have sold it no yeah I did I sold it um I sold it as soon as Russia invaded Ukraine actually and I the, see the correlation <laughs> I, the reason being not because I had any crystal ball or that you know I thought oh this I'm worried about what this is going to do to the economy which I was but for me it got to the point where I had 99.99% of my net worth tied up in one asset. And then I was becoming stressed out about, okay, what, what's going to happen here? It's not like I can sell some of the ape and then keep the rest. It's not like I can scale out. So I just said, you know what? I've, I've got a big win. Let me just take my money and go instead of trying to ride this thing to a billion or whatever. Um, So I was happy with the decision, even though I, I did miss out on, uh, an ape coin drop, some uh, some other deeds, just a bunch of stuff that they airdrop. But I not once did I ever say, "Man, I, I wish I didn't sell." I'm much happier that I sold now. And honestly, finance finances are number one, but number two, I don't even align with the board apes or the board ape community anymore. I I'm just totally not with that culture and what they kind of are about and so i'm happy that i'm out because that's not a community of people that i think i align with when it comes to web3 values what do they value a lot of their time is focused on the newest meta the newest trade the newest degen men to the newest there are a lot of people in nfts like that who's like traders and trade the profile pictures personally i think that's a really big waste of time. And I think most of those people are are grifters and just like are not in the space anymore today. And they probably didn't learn or know too much about the space in general. Um, you know, they're the people that believe, oh, there is a market of profile pictures and this is how you trade the market and you use, you know, XYZ metrics to trade it. It's like, no, there's no market. There's no such thing as a market. It's all speculation. All of this is going to zero. You can pretend like it's a market and you can pretend to trade it. 
But in reality, you're lying to yourself because this, there's nothing legitimate about this profile picture space right now. And I can say that confidently as somebody who's watched it grow literally from day one to where it is today. And a lot of those board apes are still stuck on that wave that they think like these profile pictures are, you know, that these profile pictures are legitimate projects with futures that, you know, have actual business models. There are no business models. And PseudoSwap actually exposed that, which is what they did was they removed royalties from secondary, secondary sales on these collections. And a lot of projects were freaking out because they relied on the secondary sales for money to continue to build the project. But if your business model can be can be removed by market efficiency, because that's what it is. It's just the market saying, how can we get more money? What's, what's the most efficient for us? Okay, let's remove royalties. If that's how easily your business model can be removed, it's probably not a very good business. And we haven't seen any of the profile picture projects actually develop into good businesses at all. And the board Ape community and a lot of those other PFP people uh, will try and tell you otherwise, but that's just because that's where uh, that's where their money is. So the 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 whole PFP thing is speculation, and especially right now, like given today's market and what's going on right now, does that mean NFTs are primarily for actual artists? Is it for to represent ownership? What do you actually believe NFTs mean and are meant for? If you think the whole profile thing is speculation, which I totally agree with. Yeah. I think it's been pretty disappointing being in NFTs for a year and almost two years coming up, which is even crazy just to think about because time flies. What's been disappointing is that in those two years, it does seem as though the number of use cases that we've seen so far with, you know, using the technology is very low. There aren't very many at all it does seem like we have yet to pass the collectibles threshold. Whether or not that's strictly a limitation of the actual ERC token. Right, the underlying technology behind it. Exactly. Versus, yeah, yeah, correct. So that that's, that's honestly been disappointing to see. So to answer your question, what I think, what I think it is right now is, yeah, it's, it's mainly digital art. And most likely what we'll see the use case be in the future over the next two to three years in terms of you know, number of NFTs and what those NFTs are is there'll likely be some sort of certification, some sort of soul bound token, some sort of identifier as a means to be used in things like Web3 Social, as a means to be used um, in just other ways to identify wallets in Web3. Does that make sense? So like for, for like for us, for example, one NFT we'll have in our wallet that might act as like a soulbound token, if we so desire, could be USC grad in yeah. three years or whatever. So on our last episode, I don't know if you know Richard, um, but he talked about NFTs as a means of like an ident like as identity and so yes. you can have this one NFT in your wallet and this will transfer across other services and you can plug into all of these things yes, and then exactly. that identity would stay with you. 
yes, that that's what I'm getting at here, and I I, I entirely agree with that with that take for sure. That's definitely where the space is going, at least until we figure out either expand on the underlying technology or build better business models, better business ideas. Crypto gaming is another major failure so far, mainly in the sense that they've not been able to figure out how to build a crypto crypto gaming economy that is not, um, that does not just end up with people leaving the ecosystem once they've made the money. Because that's a big issue, right? It's like you play the game, you make the money. Why are you, why do you keep that money in the game? The reason right now, they don't have a reason to keep it in the game. So a lot of these games, for example, Axie Infinity did this where they go on these huge runs, lots of volume, and then people just leave because they cash out. Of course. Yeah. And you know, that's not an issue Fortnite or FIFA has, for example, because you can't take the money out of the game. That's why it's more cyclical there. Exactly. So balancing that interoperability and freedom with incentivizing a closed economy is very difficult and not something that's been solved yet. Interesting. There's a lot of like assets of crypto that I feel like haven't changed in the past year to two that we've like heard about all these like future use cases that are going to be available, but all of the NFT projects and stuff, get the money up front. And then when it comes to actually building, the innovation isn't always there. Yeah, it's definitely not always there. But I think all it does take is one breakthrough. 100%. So even even though the majority of things are not working or aren't going to push us forward all it really takes is one of those things to work and then we have another new dimension to this whole game and board apes showed that on a micro level because they didn't necessarily innovate on a tech basis but they innovated on a narrative and value proposition basis to nfts by essentially saying we'll be an nft company and we'll airdrop you shit and sorry, I don't know if you guys were on this podcast. That's fine, man. Um, we'll airdrop you stuff. And that was like a, maybe not a zero to one, but like a zero to 0. 0.5, okay. where that was a catalyst for the rest of, of the market. And then we saw all of the copycats that came after. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey with Radar Dow and what it is? Yes. Yeah. So, radar or rider? No, it's definitely not your bad because it's actually a, it's actually a huge point of debate in the DAO. It's like how do you pronounce it? So there's a contingent of us that say it's radar, and there's a contingent that say it's radar. So which contingent are you in? I I'm team radar. Okay. So <laughs> you can say radar. So and Josh it, messed up. No, no, you can. No, no, <laughs> you can. Me. That's no, on you, him. You can say radar, and it, it doesn't mean uh, any different to me. Um, because there are a lot of people who say radar, but uh, so radar is has kind of been alive through my entire journey that I outlined towards the start. So when I was getting into Bitcoin, I texted my friend Joey. And I said, hey, have you looked at Bitcoin? I think you'd be interested in it. I'm going to probably buy some in the next few weeks. And Joey said, yeah, I've already, I just bought some. Like I beat you to the punch. 
I was like, oh crap. So uh, I, you know, went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, like I said, and was texting Joey about it the whole time. Joey's texting me, you know, getting euphoric when the price was going up, but also sending each other cool articles to learn and, and really understand what we were investing in. Sooner or later, through word of mouth, just through what we were talking about with our friends, we had another guy jo- join us. His name's Jonah. He took the Bitcoin pill, and then we had this kind of group chat of three where we were just sending each other articles, learning, uh, keeping up to date with where Bitcoin was being adopted, the narrative around Bitcoin, what its future looked like, et cetera. And at the time, we got, in, we got in nicely. We got in around 15, 16K, Joey and I. And this was the start of this most recent crypto bull run uh, in the fall of 2020. So it was awesome that the price was going up as well. Anyway, long story short, we had this group chat and, and we were really excited about this thing. And one or two other guys joined us, Steve Ash and Arsalan. And they started doing the same thing where they, they were getting really excited about it. They were investors. They started sending the stuff that they were looking at in terms of Bitcoin. And then you know, Arsalan started bringing us ETH. And so then we started exploring the ETH ecosystem. And it just became this group chat of value and knowledge where you just go in, find an article, read it, send an article, et cetera. Grew, 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 grew um, to the point where iMessage could no longer hold us. So in February of 2021, a few months before I, I bought the Ape, we moved to Discord. Uh, for a brief time, we paused crypto and rode the GME AMC craze like every other uh, guy our age at the time, uh, you know, grew, 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 grew. But what Discord allowed us to do was segment conversations. So now we could have a whole channel dedicated to Bitcoin, a whole channel dedicated to ETH, a whole channel to NFTs, DeFi, and so on and so forth. So our conversations and the value started accruing exponentially because we were now able to organize so much better. And as a result, we we started making some good fucking calls and we started actually coordinating uh, weekly research calls where everybody was in charge of researching a project and then bringing it to the rest of the community. Again, this was all, you know, we weren't doing this as a means of making money or anything. Like we, we were just a big group of friends. Right. And so we're just getting together. We all were on the same page about the money we wanted to make. And so we had these weekly you know, meetings and research calls. Nothing, you know, we hadn't even thought of a DAO really. Now, that being said, actually, in, in March of 2021, um, there were, we were thinking, okay, um, a DAO would be, would be cool. Um, but just wasn't feasible at the time. There wasn't really a means of doing it. Regardless, we were all really smart. We were all educating each other. At this point, we were Bitcoin, NFTs, DeFi, layer ones, infrastructure, what have you. Um, and we started making some good calls. So I made my board ape call. Um, Abraham, who is one of the co-founders of RIDAR, uh, pick, picked up Solana before it was a 10x. And then Arslan picked up Phantom before it was a 15x. It's now like a dead token, but because um, it's developers left. But, but regardless, we had made some good change. And then, then it got to the point where we said, okay, maybe a DAO does make sense because we're now specialized in all of these different areas. 
And instead of us all trying to track all the areas of Web3, why don't we just combine our heads yeah. uh, and cover each other's bases? So in November of 2021, we created the DAO. And we, at the time, it was mainly just, I'd say 80% of people were friends, people we knew, family, so on and so forth. And about 20% were people on Twitter who we'd never met, totally anonymous, who either reached out or we reached out to. Maybe they applied. I can't even remember at the start how we directly got in contact with these people, but they joined. A lot of them are really important members of a RIDAR today. And then since then, it's crazy. We're almost approaching a year, which is wild. But uh, since then, we've we've grown. We've we've rotated members out, and now we have <clears throat> some of the biggest, um, you know, professionals in the Web two world working with us day to day, which is crazy. And they're as members of the DAO. So we have a Punk, an Ape, a Nakamoto, a Moonbird, a V friend. Uh, it's a lot of fun and. Uh, that's where we're at today. That, that's kind of a very, very short version of how we started and where we're at today. Cool. Do you see DAOs as primarily a tool for investment groups, or do you see other use cases for DAOs besides that? Yeah, I think I think investment DAOs are probably the least technologically forward use of DAOs. Yeah. And I say that as somebody who runs an investment DAO as, as contradictory that that may sound, as that sentence may be. DAOs are simply new coordination tools. So they are a new corporate structure. They're a new way for humans to govern, which is so, so new and so different that I don't think we're really going to know what the main power of DAOs will be for at least two to five years. There are DAOs buying sports teams. There are DAOs, um, the, there, are, there are entire entities, like for example, I saw today, a karate league is, is being run as a DAO now. Like they've just released tokens that said, okay, our fans can run the league. So stuff like that. Then there are protocol DAOs, like most of the major protocols in Web3 and crypto today, who are also DAOs, although they have very low voter turnout. So I know I don't think investment DAOs are the best use case for DAOs, but I don't think we'll know what the best use case is for a little bit, mainly because there are a lot of small issues we still have to solve. So voting, voting incentives, yeah, voting, how to get people to vote, how much a vote people should get. Is it one person, one vote? Is it one token, one vote? Is it a combination? So what do you guys do at RIDAR in terms of voting? So in terms of voting, we do one token, one vote. So the amount that you've invested as a percentage or a proportion is the amount of the vote you get. Which Does that result in like highly concentrated like token ownership slash power? Or what do you think about that? Yeah. So we started out, we started out when we first minted where anybody could contribute as much as they wanted. There was no minimum. 
So we had people who buy one token for 0.1 ETH, and that's still all they have today. And we had other people buy 100 tokens, and they have something similar to that effect today. In terms of concentration, now we've upped the minimum to 3 ETH to join the DAO. So that that's kind of helped a little bit with that. But I would say the part of our voting and part of our process at the DAO is a lot of deliberation and a lot of discussion. So to that end, very it, it's very rare that we have a vote that is down the middle or extremely contentious where token concentration will matter significantly. I'd say almost all votes, all major votes that pass, pass with 95% yeah. in favor. So although there is one token, one vote, and people own varying levels, I'd say there's a high degree of consensus when we go and vote. So it doesn't really play into the equation that much. But that being said, when a large token holder makes a point yeah, or is in conversation, people might try harder to sway them yeah. before we've come to that consensus because people know that, okay, if, if this but person is, more, yeah. Yeah, if this person is voting this way, then okay, we might not have as strong a chance to sway this vote another way. In terms of the actual ownings of Rider Dow, um, it's primary, Josh, <laughs> that, that sounds so formal, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you primarily have your assets in ETH and a board ape and a punk. Are you ever worried about like you're very invested in Yuga Labs and yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. So our Yuga holdings are board ape punk and a coda. And the way I explain those investments is one, I don't consider, and I don't think the Dow considers a punk much of a Yuga investment just because they've already said that they're never going to touch it, that it's going to, they're just going to exist as, as pieces of history. And so we're not too worried about that. What I will say about the board ape is that we view it as, oh, and before I get to that, what I will finish about the punk is that the punk is totally historical. If NFTs have any future at all, a lot of value will be driven to punks. So we're very bullish about their future and we think if punks fail, then the entire ecosystem is likely, likely failed. When it comes to the board ape, we think that's a combination of history as well as some Yuga dependency. So what I mean by that is board apes didn't really do anything new. And we discussed that a little bit earlier about the zero to 0 0.5. But that being said, they were the NFT that crossed NFTs into the mainstream. They when people, they are the NFT that made people aware of NFTs. Although Top Shot was close to that, the board apes were really what people Agreed. look at and say, okay, yeah, that's, that's an NFT. And unfortunately it, it didn't do a very good job of convincing people that NFTs were valid or legitimate. But in that sense, it is at least somewhat historical. So we believe that in 50 years, if you look through the NFT history book, Bored Apes will be a big part of that. And that's why, that's part of the reason why we hold, hold it. In terms of the Yuga dependency, there is this 
utility idea around a board ape where some of its value is derived from what it can give you. And in that sense, there is Yuga dependency. And we recognize that. But Yuga is the number one player in the space. They raised it a $4 billion valuation with a $450 million round from, led by Andreessen Horowitz. So huge. Um, that's a bet we're comfortable with making. And then also something that another rabbit hole we could, we could totally fall down, but I'll give a little color to now when we think about the punk and the ape is not so much today, but in 10 years, virtual reality, augmented reality, and the metaverse maybe in 20 years, 30 years. We think that these will be the flexes of the entire world because of their historical value and because they will be able to be donned as your persona and your identity in these virtual worlds. So imagine you, you get to walk around in the metaverse where everybody else is as a bored ape yeah. and how valuable that will be when the time comes. And we think that that will be valuable even before then, particularly with augmented reality and smart glasses. We think that with NFT integration there, the value of a board ape and a, and a crypto punk being able to walk around as that on the street is going to be insane. And so those are that those two things are also a massive part of our, our thesis as well. Um, and then the coda in terms of the last Yuga piece in our portfolio, if I'm not forget. Well, we also we also have a, a, a board ape other deed, but that's only worth four ETH, so not nothing huge. But in terms of the coda, that's our one of our short term bets, which is Yuga is putting all of their energy into the other side, their metaverse. They've clearly shifted their position from trying to be a cultural brand to trying to become some sort of gaming brand, something along those lines. So we think if that's where all of their energy is going to be, there's still quite a high level degree of speculation that might occur in those assets. And that given just a few announcements or given just a little bit of development, uh, other deed assets could see quite the appreciation. And a coda is the best asset to own in the other side. So that's why we have that. And we're waiting to see how the other side plays out to, to determine our position on it. And confirming the other side is that's the Yuga Labs digital like real estate flow, right? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't consider it digital real estate as much as I'd consider it their virtual world where they hope to house all of the NFTs, all of the PFP projects. They kind of hope to build a world for that. Before it gets to that, totally all-encompassing world, they're going to try and build some sort of game or some sort of, I think it's called an, a multi, multiplayer, like free roam game. I forget the actual terminology, but essentially each land has underlying resources. Each land has different positions in the metaverse. You'll, able, you'll be able to farm these resources, trade it with others, and this is just what we know so far. Yeah. They have released very few details about it up to this point, but it's more of an interactive world with, with actual, hopefully, an economy. 
as much as it, and not so much just, you know, kind of digital real estate, like you might think of the sandbox or Decentraland. Any other questions or? Yeah, let's, let's move it a little longer. Cool. I think we can always cut it if it goes long. Um, what makes Ray, yeah, I got a lot of questions here, by the way. What yeah, makes, just go, just yeah. go. I'm, I'm, I'm good for however long you guys want. Yeah, what makes Rider DAO different than other investment DAOs? Is it your specialization in NFTs or what makes you special? Yes, that's a good question. So right now there are very few investment DAOs. Investment DAOs that do exist out there that you guys might have heard of, the Lao, Flamingo, Metacartel, Fingerprints, etc., are all led and started by these crypto millionaires who have tens of millions of dollars and they're all the biggest names in crypto and they all get together and they buy up everything and it's just very easy and not very replicable, which is part of our, our thesis at RideRDAV. So what makes us different from that? It's part of the story that I told you guys just a few minutes ago about our beginnings, which is we are just like everybody else. We started with the exact same amount of knowledge as everybody else, and we've been able to make it pretty damn far. So we think that part of what makes us different is our ability to, one, tell, the, tell that story to everybody else, to get everybody else inspired and believe that in Web3, they can do the same thing, which is not something that Flamingo or the Lao or Pleaser could do because nobody has a few million dollars to put into these DAOs and join right. them. And we started from zero. Right. So we think that that's a pretty big differentiator. But more importantly, along those lines, we're the first DAO that's attempting to build a brand, a truly recognized mainstream non-crypto participant brand. And so this goes back to our conversation about DAOs and what their best form is. And it goes back to what I was saying about how DAOs are these novel ways to structure and organize. And with every single organizational type in the world, or organization type rather in the world, there are organizations within that type that transcend the type and have a universally recognized brand. So in sports, a sports franchise or a sports team is a type of organization. You think of the Lakers or you think of FC Barcelona. In, in commerce, in business, the corporation is a different organization type. You think of Apple and you think of McDonald's. And then in charities, charity is another organization type. You think of UNICEF, you think of Save the Children, yeah. Red Cross, what have you. So we're really trying to be and really try to get to the point where we are one of those DAOs that transcends the organization type to be recognized by the mainstream as, as a brand. So I'd say that also goes into what makes us different, um, our goals. But then also, it's our structure as well. So what I mean by that is... We're not just an investment DAO, although that's how we started. We now are looking at this from more than one dimension. We started as an investment DAO because we thought 
that was that that that's what made the most sense to us at the time. And then we quickly realized that our potential was a lot greater than just an investment DAO, and what we could actually build was a lot more. We think starting an investment DAO and operating as an investment DAO is the first dimension, right? But then we think that we can add dimensions on top of that. So the first dimension we're adding on top of that is our content, like I just mentioned, where we're trying to build this brand. We're trying to grow our following and our reach and things of that nature. You can plug your socials too. <laughs> yeah, follow us at uh, RideRDAO, R-E-I-D-A-R, DAO, D-A-O, on everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, although our TikTok sucks ass right now. We're trying to make it better. And uh, and yeah, I'm sure you'll put in the show notes or something like that after. But um, so our content is kind of like the first layer that we're adding to that, right? And we think there are a number of benefits to building a massive audience. You know, we think it will make people a lot more eager to work with us. Yeah. We think that in the future, uh, we'll have people come to us if we have a big enough audience because we're an investment DAO, they'll want us to be involved. Um, and then it also gives us fuel for our third dimension, which is actually developing our own products, our own business and generating our own revenue. So whether that's starting our own in-house NFT project, whether that's whether that's doing consulting, whether that's uh, whether that's um, developing a Discord pass or something yeah. along these lines, merch, etc., we think that having an audience allows us to more successfully build revenue and generate products because we have somebody to market those products to. And then that revenue all go all all goes back into the treasury, and then we have this flywheel where we have our investments, and our investments give us content to make. Our content grows our audience, our audience, which allows us to uh, develop products and sell to, and the revenue goes back into the investments. And then this flywheel effect kind of plays out, where we continue to grow and move forward. So. I say those three aspects: the ability that our, the ability for our story to be replicated, um, the fact that we're trying to become a brand, and the fact that we're, we've changed the DAO and investment model structure, are the three things that I think set sets us apart. Uh, you mentioned that like you're hiring a lot of talent from like Web two, some big names. You're up to like seventy five people now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, what do you look for in like hiring talent? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so I will I will say that we, I think a better term for it is having members like join us because we don't necessarily do hiring. We anybody who does work for the DAO is a member. As of right now, we're we're looking at ways to potentially change that. But when we look for members to join us. So we have we've got a, we get a lot of applications. So to date, we've had six hundred applications. We've probably brought in twenty people from that list. So highly competitive. What we do look for is people who can fill a specific role. So if you're applying to the DAO and you're saying I can be valuable because I can provide investment ideas and I track the market you're not getting into the DAO because we already have 25 people who do that, who follow the DAO and, and track the market. And we don't really need any more investment ideas. We are 
more of a startup and a productive organization than a an investment vehicle at this point, especially because we're 100% invested in, in, in stuff that we're very comfortable with holding long-term. So what we do look for is somebody who can fill specific roles. So what I mean by that is we just brought on Matt Surrey here who, who goes to USC and is actually in Iovine & Young where we're recording today. And he was telling me how he'd love to make a docu-series of the DAO's beginnings and the DAO's mm. functioning and put that on YouTube or something like that or be our head of YouTube or head of brand in that sense, which is something super valuable for us because nobody else can do that. Yeah. And so that's something that separates him from other applicants. And would separate your DAO, right? Not right, like exactly. That's exactly right. So that you know, that's an example of something specifically that, that would, would get somebody into the DAO. Um, computer programmers. Like if you're a really, really good computer programmer, then you probably have a good, and, and are interested in building products from a Web3 perspective, then you probably have a really good shot at getting in. We have probably a team of seven or eight now that are, are constantly working on new ideas and, and bouncing things off of the rest of the DAO members. Um, and, then, and then I'd say industry experts that we don't yet have in the DAO. So people who are experts at Web3 privacy, uh, even Web3 social, we're not totally well-versed there. Maybe infrastructure or? Infrastructure, yep. And governance, probably. Those those four areas, we're, we're probably looking for people. But that's what we look. We look for somebody, one, who, who can fill some, who can be less replicable. Yeah. To go back to an, an example we used before this, is we need highly differentiated people because we're working with a 100-member cap. Yeah. We can't go above 100 members, so we have to make sure that the 100 members that we have are as strong a composition as possible. People who have web th you know, deep Web3 networks, they are super valuable. So we have people who don't necessarily send messages every day, but connect us to people in Web3 who we then do stuff with. That's enough for us. As a member, yeah. we don't need you to be doing anything more. We don't need you to be sending 100 messages a day. That's not that valuable. So I wish I could tell you there was something specific, but it's more... Can yeah, you just being specific. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's, it, it's, do you have something specific that nobody else has? And, and then I can't believe you didn't even touch on this, but is... Do you actually align with our vision, with our plan, with our strategy? Are you willing to put in time, effort, and work to potentially build something really, really cool? We, it might pay out. It might not. We're not sure yet. But if you're willing to jump on board with that and join a lot of really, really cool people who believe the same, then the combination of those two things will lend you well to getting in cool uh we're gonna close this out with a new segment we're starting where we pull tweets mm -hmm. and we ask you to give more context and say if you learn and see if you learned anything since tweeting this okay. okay so here's the first one if you could only make a singular bet <clears throat> on one cryptocurrency sector for the next decade and beyond what would you pick and why so the options are bitcoin DeFi, nfts the meta the metaverse and DAOs. so george if you could make one pick <clears throat> what mm -hmm. would your pick be 
So I do remember tweeting that. I do remember getting getting a good amount of responses. I think if I could make one pick, this is a great question. I mean, you asked it, so I (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I think in my head, my gut reaction says Bitcoin or the metaverse. My answer at the time was NFTs. It's no longer NFTs. I think if it's Bitcoin, it's because Bitcoin is totally decentralized. Nobody needs to do any work. Its value proposition is very clear. And so I think that makes it very easy to go over the long term if people see a use case for it, which they should, considering the inflation these days. If it's the metaverse, it's the opposite. It's because there are so many centralized companies already working on it that I think the chances of it succeeding or being birthed are pretty high. So we have Google, obviously Meta, working on AR, VR, the metaverse. So the fact that all of these companies are already working on it. Plus a ridiculous amount of funding for startups. Exactly. Probably signals to me that the metaverse will come. So if I had to choose one of the two, I'd probably go the metaverse for sure. Cool. All right. Your second tweet is something we discussed on the latest RIDAR DAO pod is that we cannot invert the IP creation process. The story must come first and the money after it. Almost every single NFT project is trying to do this backwards, and every single one is failing miserably. Mm-hmm. So why is this happening? Tell us a little bit about what this means. Yeah, so still 100% agree with that take. All of the major profile picture projects that we see today are trying to build popular IP, right? So they're saying, holders, we're going to give you rights to do whatever you want. Go out and build a brand with your ape or your doodle or your Azuki or your moonbird so on and so forth. You have total freedom over this art, X, Y, Z. It's all bullshit grift. It's fake. Don't listen to it. The the idea that you can create something and then, or create something and then tell somebody to make it popular is, is totally ass backwards, right? Just think about all of the greatest pieces of IP today. They're all stories made by one or two people very personally and are very, very like um, artistic and have no no idea for money behind it. So think of the Harry Potter books. Think of think of music. Think of like artists who create music. Think about films. Think about characters and books. Like these are all made by these are all made by artists who take a long time and spend their life on how do I develop a story? How do I create a strong character? They're not thinking about intellectual property. They're not thinking about how do I make this a, a world brand? So the idea that a bunch of frankly and I'm as one, I'm not saying I'm not saying that I'm not part of this group. The idea that a bunch of crypto nerds can create some sort of story that will resonate with the whole world with their NFT is totally fake. And the reason it's fake is all you have to do is look at look at the funding that all of these companies have just received. If Andreessen is if Andreessen is giving four hundred fifty million dollars to Yuga Labs, why are they buying equity in the company? 
why aren't they just buying $450 million worth of board apes? Yeah. It's because the company's what's valuable yeah. at the end of the day. The NFTs that we're holding, they're not, they're not, the, they're not what's going to derive any like future economic value. So all they're doing, if, if we're really looking at it, they're gaslighting everybody. And I know it's, it sounds crazy like that. I'm getting like this, like into it, but what they're doing is they're saying, go create as much as possible with this NFT because it'll make all of your other NFTs valuable and we'll all be super rich. What they're doing is they're just getting people to work for them for free. So all you have to do is look at the Larva Labs and CryptoPunks acquisition, okay? Yuga probably bought CryptoPunks for $300 million. And what did they buy? They didn't buy the 10,000 CryptoPunks. They bought the IP. They bought the name CryptoPunks. So that's all Andreessen is doing. Andreessen is saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to buy $450 million worth of the Yuga name. And everybody else and all of the holders are going to create this IP and just keep creating shit around their board apes. They're going to make it maybe popular. And because all of them are doing this, we're going to be able to sell Yuga on to Disney for $5 billion for the 450 that we bought it for. You get what I'm saying? So I, it's, it's totally broken. And then, and then that's just the PFP stuff. There are a number of like writer DAOs and filmmaking DAOs who say, okay, we're going to make a movie and everybody gets, you know, there are a thousand NFTs, everybody gets one and you all get a stay, a say in the, in the script and, and the filming process. That's not how you make a movie. You can't make a successful movie with a thousand writers. It's impossible. Yeah, it's, the, it's the IP that's important. And that's yeah. why you said like these uh, big like VCs are investing their money in the project itself. And like the thing I think about is like, who makes money in like the NFT space? The most money that is made where you can never lose is if you're the one creating the NFTs themselves, not the ones trading it. Exactly. The ones trading it. You know, you can also you can make great money, but you can also lose money too. Oh, you can lose <laughs> uh, you can lose a lot of money. I've learned that the hard way too. Yeah, I was gonna say George doesn't know if that you can lose money. He's only only takes <laughs> No, that's not that's actually not true. So I've even though I had a board ape in uh, May of 2021 and then sold it in February of 2022. In between then, I had three different apes. So I, I bought an ape, I sold it, put it into other stuff, yeah. traded that, bought back into the apes, held that for a little, sold it again, put it into other stuff, traded that, bought another ape. So I've done a good amount of trading in between, which is why I know it's all fake BS. Yeah. I remember one day I had my liquid ETH. I had like 80 liquid ETH, something along these lines. And I was thinking about buying a crypto and I was talking to somebody on, on DMs who, who is a toad holder. And I was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm really thinking I'm going to buy it, whatever. I'm liking it. Ended up not being able to continue the conversation because I had midterm the next day. And I was already pissed. I was like, well, you know, I want to drop it to school anyway. Like this is ridiculous. Like look how much money I'm making. Like totally drinking the Kool-Aid, totally off my rocker. I was a fucking idiot. And Toads the next day went to from 5 ETH to like 12 ETH or something like that. Yeah. And as somebody who was going to probably buy two that night, that would have been like what? Seven times two is 14. At the time, ETH was like four grand. Yeah. So it would have been like 56 grand in a day. And so I was 
pissed. <laughs> I was vehement. I was so, so mad. And so instead, I was like, you know what? I was like, fuck this. I was like, I'm going to buy two toads at, I was, I was like, I was going to buy two toads at like 14 ETH. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm like, I'm like, they're going to go to 20. I'll make a cool six ETH on each of them. And then I'm, I'll be out. The day after they went to 15, they might have touched 16. And I thought to myself, I should probably sell because you know what? That's four, that's 16 grand in two yeah, days. Yeah. I was like, but I was like, nah, you know what? I'm going to hold. I'm okay. pissed. I'm pissed. I, I missed it the first time. I'm going to hold it. So I'm not going to paper hand this. And that was their top universally. Yeah. Like they've never even gotten close to that. So they went all the way to like 10 within a mm -hmm. day. And at that point, now I was down right. like 16 grand. Yeah. And so the situation was worse. And I was like, nah, nah, hold on, hold on, hold. Because <laughs> it has to come back up, right? Dying yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then around seven ETH, I I cut it. I was okay. like, I was like, yeah, there's, I was like, I gotta go. And so that was like 60 grand lost in three days, three, yeah. or f three to seven days, something like that. So definitely know what it's like to lose money for sure. On that note, we'll do the third tweet <laughs> and then close it out. Made by human NFT stamps of certification will be very important and very popular in less time than we think. Now, this one I was excited about because I'm really interested in artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And we've seen things like Dolly 2, yes. all the stuff that's going, stable diffusion, all the mm -hmm. stuff these AI companies are doing. Yep. What does this mean? Yeah, so you might sneeze just here. Good. So you hit the nail on that. Sorry, I'll, I'll wait till it's done. <laughs> You hit the nail on the head there with Dolly 2 and what's happening in AI art. Um, Dolly 2 is taking the world by storm, especially yeah. Twitter, with the ability to create these fantastic images from very little. Yeah. And images that are very aligned with what the person creating the inputs wanted the image to look like. But that being said, when you can create an image that so closely looks like what a human can create, yeah. and the sheer volume is insane, so you can use these algorithms and they can create... Just batch, yeah, yeah, yeah. just bulk create images, right? Yeah, you can create infinite outputs in a day yeah. if you really wanted to. What that's going to do is it's, especially in, in the digital art world, almost exclusively in the digital art world, is it's going to make it very hard to say, is this made by a human or is yeah. this made by AI? And so I think there's going to be a super valuable price tag, perhaps not price tag, but I think we're, start, we're going to start seeing differentiators between AI art and human art. Yeah. And I think AI art could become its whole, a whole sector on its own. How it's, good is your algorithm compared to mine? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's something that we're looking at potentially investing in at RIDAR. But at the same time, I think, it, you know, if AI grows to the point where it could just create anything, then that- That, that, that opens that, a whole can of worms, that, yeah. That, that gets to a scary point where it says, okay, well, if they can make, if AI can make art better than us, then what are we really doing here? You know what I mean? And so just figuring out who's created what and where humans have created art, I think will, will become valuable, at least to me, because I'd rather buy from a human than yeah. 
that piece of technology. George, thank you so much for joining us today. A lot of insight. Radar Dow. This man knows his NFTs. <laughs> he knows what he's doing with his DAOs. Um, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you all in the next episode. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.